Fine Music Radio. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, my guest is Professor Andrew Lilly, a Cape Town-based jazz musician, composer, and educator, and he was born in Cape Town. He comes from a musical family and has played with everyone who is anyone in the South African jazz scene and many well-known international players. He's a highly regarded player and educator and is recently made director of the South African College of Music at UCT. And he's also taught many of the current players on the South African scene. Andrew also appears on numerous recordings as a sideman and has two albums under his own name. His latest release, Silhouette, a solo piano album, has just been released and we are going to be featuring it as our CD of the week this coming week. So, Professor Andrew, welcome indeed to Fine Music Radio and to People of Note. Thanks, Rodney. I want to find out about this appointment. It strikes me as a fairly major thing to be director of the College of Music, such an established uh, college here in South Africa. Was it, were you surprised to get it? Are you excited? Are you bewildered? Are you nervous? <laughs> I would think all of the above. Okay. okay. Um, the, pr- the process is works through a nomination. So the mm-hmm. staff contingent at the university in the College of Music will nominate. When, when, when a period expires for a current uh, presiding uh, director, then the dean of the Faculty of Humanities will seek to appoint a new director. And then there is a process, a process of nomination by the staff. And the nominees are then um, tabled. And they, if they accept the nomination, then they interview the staff members. And then they also interview uh, the administrative staff to gauge support. And if there is sufficient support, then they will make that offer to the director. And it appears that my staff <laughs> nominated me and supported me. So, you know, the, 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 the College of Music is something that's very dear to me. I've been there for some 30-odd years plus. Wow. And uh, leadership is, a, is not something that would that comes to me naturally, but as I've grown a little bit older, I realize that obviously, you know, those kind of positions are very important for the, f- for the growth of the, of the department. And I have my interest lies in the growth of that department and its mm. positive growth. Mm. So I see this as a sort of a, a time for myself to, to lead uh, in respect of what the staff are asking me to do. So, in, you know, in collaboration with my staff, I think that it's... Were, uh, you, yeah. were you surprised when your name came up? I kind of knew it was going to come because, to be honest, it's a lot of work and a lot of administrative work, which most musicians don't necessarily want to do. So um, I think that a lot of the staff felt that I was well positioned to do it, having already demonstrated because I'm in the academic union as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just a question of who who is willing to do this position, really, and <laughs> and who's going to carry us forward. And then we'll give that support. But it's uh, musicians generally... I mean, it's really an administrative position. Yes, so I to it's say. difficult yeah. to find musicians to fit the brief, really. To be paper, to be pen both, pushers or whatever yeah. they call So you'll often end up with a musicological sort of section being the administrators. So this is one of the, f- you know, f- well, we have had one performer before, but generally uh, not that many performers end up being directors, you know, of these. Mm. And, and um, this is the first for jazz. Oh, I guess I was going to. So I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, <laughs> but time. Andrew, um, 
Does this mean, or I hope it doesn't mean that you're going to move away from performing. You will still be a performing musician and a composing musician. Absolutely. It's just a question of working out my time. So so my teaching load is, is slightly less mm -hmm. as a result of the administration, and at least I get that. So while I do spend a lot of time doing administration, it also it also gives me a lot of opportunity to just do you know what I love doing, which is performing. So mm -hmm. I, I have to just gauge and apportion my day so that I, I'm not staring at my cell phone all day, <laughs> responding yes. to emails. So I really, it's, it's up to me how I manage it, but I certainly won't have uh, impact on what I do and what I love doing now. Yeah. So at the moment you are ensconced. You've been there for a couple of months, haven't you? Uh, it will have been since January. Oh, it's yeah. from okay. So from the beginning of the year, in yeah. fact. And you um, are you surrounded by a good support staff? Well, I was the deputy director. Oh, were you? Prior to that, under Rebecca Santmeyer. So I've got some. She was your predecessor. Yes. So right. I have some some insight into how the operation works. But mm -hmm. I have good support from Francois uh, de Toy, who's uh, my, now my deputy. Oh, okay. Who's okay. a good colleague of mine. And so he's also on our board, incidentally, of yes. Music Radio. Yes, so he's highly connected and he's mm -hmm. also he's very familiar with the systems at the university and the College of Music. So, you know, I've got a lot of very strong support around me. Yeah. So it's good to know that uh, Francois now your he's assistant director, in fact, yes, isn't he? Yes. Or deputy director, assistant director. Yeah. And um a question I want to ask you early on in the interview is um and I can't help asking you this question. Nothing will happen to the classical side of the operation, will it? Absolutely Andrew. not. No. <laughs> my parents were classical musicians and my heart and my, and my soul still lies in that music. And I owe my voice, development of my voice to that music. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I have absolute support for that. That's not going to change at all. And Andrew, I suppose you're the right person to ask this. What sort of image or reputation does South African College of Music have jazz-wise? Because I think I'm right in saying it has a very good image, classically speaking. Mm. It's produced wonderful pianists, wonderful singers, wonderful instrumentalists. Um, and the jazz side, and I know you've, you've had really remarkable people uh, lecturing in jazz. Well, the jazz side uh, uh, under Mike Campbell, who, who started the program, mm -hmm. is, is without doubt the, the most foremost uh, program of its kind in the country. We've produced the best out of the best, you know, from... Uh, oh, you know, really? Yeah. Yes, ab yeah. absolutely. And it started along sort of uh, in the early early days with when Doris Brubeck started the program at Durban University. But uh, University of Cape Town, not to, not to kind of boast, but it... But <laughs> You're allowed to boast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it is most... It is definitely on the street the best program of its kind in the country mm -hmm. yeah, and is recognized as such. Because I remember I spoke to Mike Rossi and his wife just before they left to go back to Italy and I was amazed at some of the things he told me that were going on there and I thought my goodness it clearly is um, the leading jazz institution education wise in South Africa as far as I can gather and that's the image I get anyway. Mm. So you've taken over something rather special. Yes there certainly is a lot going on at the College of Music and uh, yeah it's quite remarkable for such a small department. Now, let's hear some music. You've chosen something here called Home Roots. Is this your own piece? Yes, this is a composition I did for an album in collaboration with a Swedish, some Swedish musicians that were part of the Grahamstown uh, Educational Program and International Jazz Fest. So I did a recording at SABC, not for SABC, but at the SABC premises in Seapoint. Yes. And this is one of the, the items of that album, yeah.
called Home Roots, written by my guest here on Fine Music Radio's People of Note this week, Professor Andrew Lilly, whom, as I said, has recently been appointed director of the South African College of Music at UCT. Andrew, is composition a fairly major part of your life? Would you say more important than playing? Well, I would say they're both one and the same, okay. as you, you know, okay. in that uh, jazz being primarily an improvisatory art form, you know, the process of composing for me is really in that spirit. So mm-hmm. I'll very often be improvising or not, not with a view necessarily to composing something, but I might stumble across something or something that I'm working on that formulates itself into something and then the process of composition begins to take effect. It could, it could be recording what you're playing and then listening and transcribing it later on and formulating it into something more cohesive. But, uh, yeah, so it's a, it works really on more of an inspiration. Okay, spontaneous than, yeah, even. Than formulated, although, as you'll see later, I do sometimes think along formulated lines, which often just inspire my sort of constructive improvisation or, or uh, direction, yeah. Are you a pianist, a keyboard player? Yes. Is yeah, that your main player, instrument? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And on a, a track like the one we've just heard, you were obviously featuring, featured on that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that track has three horns on it, it's, so it's a tenor, alto, and trumpet. And I'd, it, was, it was just an opportunity to write for that format, which is, I guess, considered this sort of hard bop <laughs> format. Yeah, it's like a small big band, really. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're getting the impact of those three horns mm-hmm. in harmony is quite powerful. And because they were very good players and they can play in very close harmony, I was able to write in a particular way, which was unusual. Yeah. One of the things that always mystifies me about jazz, and this is going to show you how, how little I know about jazz, my colleagues sent me up here, we speak about the improvisatory nature of jazz, but how then do you work with it, the piece, harmonically? Because surely there must be some sort of harmonic template which you can improvise from. Do you know mm. what I'm trying to say? Absolutely, and it yeah. is, yeah. So we generally, the, the nomenclature or the notation of jazz is usually in chord symbols, which is which is like um, a sort of a shorthand mm. for the harmonic thread. But within that, there lies quite a lot of interpretation. Sometimes you want to be very specific about what you want, but generally speaking, jazz musicians play within a framework of a general harmonic idea mm-hmm. and so then and then there's a lot of looseness which I try and explain to my students that they don't they're not bound by what is written but they are bound by the function of what is happening musically they need to stay in the topic yes and then you know of of the harmony they need to stay um, in the course of the harmony yes but they can deviate as long as they don't change the function that's a kind of a so they can deviate they can change the harmony they can change the harmony so a simple thing would be if you have a dominant seventh chord whose function is to resolve in a particular way, mm-hmm. you could change the dominant seventh to something else that has a similar function and, and oh, asks for okay. a similar resolution, but might be slightly different. But in the context of what's happening harmonically, it'll still apply. So, so you would write in the dominant seventh? And I would write a very simple chord symbol. So I might write G7 in the key of C major, okay. but the player might be playing D flat seven, which is a substitute for for that or might be playing a related chord like <laughs> for instance they might play subdominant minor instead of dominant and and the effect is the same it calls for a resolution yes and so it can affect the line it can affect the harmonic line it can conf- affect the way the musician so you often end with a sort of a dissonant relationship at the same direction a bit like walking around a tree but on di- on different sides you know 
and then arriving at the same place. Oh, that's an interesting yeah. analogy. Yeah, yeah. And it just shows, Andrew, how different it is from classical music, isn't it? Like when you said to your your students, don't feel bound by yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, if you're learning a Beethoven sonata, whether it's harmony, whether it's rhythm, mm. whatever, you are absolutely bound, aren't you? Well, you have some interpretation yes, in terms yes, of fair. how the pull and tug of the phrasing, but you you cannot be changing the notes. No, no and you cannot be changing the harmony. <laughs> no, <laughs> so they're exactly. they're up very differently, yeah, yeah. aren't they, actually? Yeah. And does it happen very often that, well, I'm sure it does, where classical musicians become very fine jazz players or even dare I say vice versa generally more the former oh really yeah. really because the cla- because the classical discipline is about the instrument mm. and the instrument predates the style so jazz being a style using the instrument which was really founded around the classical discipline the players that can that have been through the classical discipline which includes all the great players Herbie Hancock Chick Career Keith Jarrett Bud Powell even you know, oh, oh. Art Tatum they all came from that tradition that tradition is the rigorous uh skill set required to play an instrument called a piano and yes. and everything and all the repertoire that goes along with that is from classical origin so so those students that I've had that can play the instruments on a very high level come from classical tradition and they're easier to work with even though they don't know the style of jazz oh, that's so I very often find the advancement much quicker in terms of uh, yeah depending on whether they're actively listening to jazz music you know, let's presume they're both, they're, they're listening to the music a lot, then, mm-hmm. then they're very easy to teach. That's interesting. I would have thought it would be quite tricky to get them to loosen up and to be able to improvise. But that's why I said they have to be interested in <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. As the bottom line, really, to, be, yeah. to go that route. Mm. Well, let's have another piece of music. Apparently, this is off the same album, is it? Song yes. for Becky. Tell me a bit about, oh, before you do that, didn't you tell me these two that we're the one we heard in this one won awards. Yes, they both are, you know, uh, getting sort of focused on your music is always tricky in this new environment. So mm-hmm. so um, I would I would always enter my songs into various competitions. And one that I often used to enter in is the USA Songwriting Competition. The USA Songwriting. Yeah, oh, which okay. is part of my it, – it used to come through the Berkeley – College of Music channel, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just regularly enter songs. And, in fact, the previous album – um, I, I also won an award for a for a song which, funnily enough, doesn't appear on that album. But <laughs> you know, but but I so I won an award for that song, and then and then I entered these two, and I think Home Roots was a runner up, and the, the song for Becky won an award. Yeah. So my question before we listen is, who is Becky? Becky is Becky Mseleku, who is a well known, well, and revered South African. Uh, piano player who died recently unfortunately okay. but he played with a lot of uh, exceptional musicians not only in South Africa but also abroad including Ravi Coltrane you know and uh, Elton Jones and Marvin Smitty Smith Joe Henderson Ferris Sanders he played with basically a contingent that one would consider s- sort of uh, surrounding the John Coltrane legacy oh that's interesting okay and highly revered but probably born at a time when South Africa was not really uh, focusing its attention on mm. its on local players yeah, yeah. Mm. so this is your tribute to him in fact yes yeah song for becky let's yeah. listen to it
Now, that piece was called Song for Becky, written like the first piece we heard by my guest here on People of Note on Fine Music Radio this week, Professor Andrew Lilly, who is here at UCT and who's now director of the South African College of Music. So I want to find out, Andrew, about your background. Um, It says here that you come from a musical family, and many people don't come from a musical family and become fine musicians or vice versa family of symphony orchestras, gigging musicians, so music was in your blood from very early. Mm. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I think, really? you know, that's what I know. I, that's, that's, that's my DNA, and that was what I was surrounded by. And I think as children, you know, you grow up in an environment that has a huge impact on how you see the world and what, how you're capable yes. of interacting with the world. Yeah, I did try, actually, to move... A, not th- I, I never wanted to move away from music, but I felt that I should try and get a responsible um, you know, line of employment. You mean music is not responsible? I didn't think that I would make <laughs> money in music. So, oh, right, right. But I, so, so I went to study architecture. But, oh. I, but in, in retrospect, I think I probably would have made less in architecture because it's quite similar to music. Yes. Do you, do you remember yeah. that famous quote, and I really don't know who said it, was that architecture is like frozen music. Yes, it is. And I think on realizing that, I just went straight back to music. Back to music. Yeah. And Andrew, did you always go the jazz route? No, I studied obviously classical music as a, as a child, uh, right up until I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And then the unfortunate experience of going to the army sort of severed my relationship oh, with regular instruction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became sort of more exposed to jazz music, although I had been before, I didn't really have a um, musical relationship with it. So I became more exposed, more curious, and then I sort of got more involved in that. Yeah. And then did you study jazz when you studied? Well, there was, no, there was no information. There was no YouTube. There was nowhere to go, really. You could go down to the local shop, uh, you know, music shop, and see if you could buy some literature. But even there wasn't much literature on it. So it mm-hmm. was really a question of, of hearing something and wanting, and wanting it and trying to work it out off the record. And then eventually I made contact with, uh, through a friend of mine, to the Jazz Workshop, which was run by Merton Barrow, who is an unsung hero amongst the musicians in Cape Town. And in fact, that that building, the Jazz Workshop, I see is still on Batencroft Street, I think. And they've kept the facade of the building, even though they've changed the backdrop. And they've left that jazz workshop on there in recognition of its being an, an iconic institution. Tell me a bit more about that man. That uh, Merton Barrow. Merton Barrow, So yes. Merton Barrow probably started in the late 60s. And a sort of a workshop environment was, a, was an environment where aspiring young musicians who weren't classically trained, or at least weren't into the classical music sort of tradition, could go and play jazz, you know, and sort of be exposed to jazz, be taught, you know, um, some of the principles of jazz music. And uh, Merton, yeah, I think he, he instructed some really great musicians that have gone on to be phenomenal musicians, including John Lockwood, who now lives in Boston and has played with everybody and anybody. James Schofield, who now lives in Germany. He's also played at the Blue Notes, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know so, so if you go back, you'll find all the musicians on the street know Merton. But Merton was very, very much kept to himself. I think it also around that period was quite a dodgy period, you know, in the 60s up into the 80s in mm. South Africa. Yeah. He didn't yeah. want to get involved in the politics and yeah. the music. Has he left us? He's, you know, he, he's retired, but he still teaches, I think. Oh, uh, so he's still yeah, alive. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, we must remember that name. As yeah. you said, an unsung hero. He is an unsung hero, you know, and I'd love to do, you know, a program on him more because uh-huh. he, he definitely deserves some focus, you know. 
Well, maybe we should yeah. look into that one yeah. day, yeah. a program like this with the three of us, possibly. Yeah. And so then when you went to university, you were already now you were going to do jazz. Well, no, when I, uh, originally I went to do architecture and then... Oh, was that... First. Yeah, before it took over, right? Uh, after that, I was in the military service, which is yes. another. Uh, I wasn't uh, of any value to the military. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yes, but I had to. D- but I had to preside in over that. You know, that period of my life in the military, and then subsequent to that, things got a bit out of control. I went to Boston. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, the country was a mess. So mm-hmm. in, in the late uh, what what early eighties or. Mid to when it mid, was mid really to early 80s. I got called up to infantry, so I thought that's it. I'm out of here. So I went to Boston to Berkeley, yeah, to study. And then I went to study music synthesis in Boston, um, which was the focus. Music synthesis <laughs> is really at that time would have been the contemporary aspects of music, including electronic music. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Talk about electronic music. Do you write for electronic instruments? Well, I actually at that yes, I do. <coughs> I did. Uh, you know. Uh, I guess it would have been referred to as the fusion period. So a lot of the electronic um, instruments that would have been coming up through the various, um, you know, other styles, soul and rock, started to become prevalent. And uh, a lot of different instruments, classic instruments like the Fender Rhodes came into focus and people like Herbie Hancock were playing them and Chick had these electric bands. And so that was the, the fusion period, and that was what I was sort of was born into. So I was attracted to it, obviously, and I, mm-hmm. and I pursued it. So the early on, you'll find that even on YouTube, there's a couple of clips of myself and Kevin Gibson, the drummer, pursuing electronic music, <laughs> which feels very far away, very far from removed now. from what I've been doing of late. <laughs> yeah. You said we're going to take another music break now, but you tantalized me earlier by talking about expectation in music. Yes. But we're going to come back to that because I want you... That sounds slightly mysterious to me, so mm. I need to find out more about Absolutely. it. But our next piece of music is an etude to a maestro. Yes. And this is about and for and who? This is also for Becky M. Seleku, who was, oh. a, was a maestro. And, and, and it's all about actually his use of harmony, which we can get into in the, in the next, uh, after the break, we'll get okay. into. Yeah. So this tune is really an improvisation on a harmonic form, a freely improvised, yeah.
That was called Etuto Maestro, solo piano, with my guest Andrew Lilly, whose new album that was, Silhouette, which you've just released, haven't you, Andrew? Yes, February. Completely solo piano. Completely solo piano, yeah. No electronics involved. No electronic other than the recording device. Well, yes, of <laughs> yeah. course. Yeah. Had you, have you done this before, a solo piano piece? Um, I did one duet on one of my first albums, which uh, was called Ukavuyu, that album. I did a, I did a, a du piano duet track, actually. Oh. But that's a, and that also, but that was two pianos, yeah. So this is the first solo project I've done. Um, and all the pieces were written by you, yes. composed by yeah, you. Yeah. And um, as I said earlier, this CD called Silhouette is going to be our CD of the week this week here in the Afternoon Drive on Fine Music Radio. But just before the break, Andrew, we spoke about, I said that you tantalized me with something called expectations in music. Mm. And I decided not to ask you anything about that until now in case I get myself into deep water. What do you mean by expectations in music? Well, I think we grow, you know, each of us grow up in an environment which is which is musically sensible. We're surrounded by music. So we, we learn uh, to differentiate between, you know, color and textures and, and sounds in our early stages of, of growing up. And we formulate a, an understanding of that that makes sense. And in that in that understanding are expectations that are built into that so you know even even your desire to eat or to, or to have a yearning for a particular taste that you that you acquire for something is an expectation in itself so these are sort of bodily expectations but there are musical expectations as well in that uh, certain functions have a desire to want to resolve yes. so, so you'll hear a particular musical sound and and if you were to ask somebody, how do you feel when when you hear that sound? You'll feel edgy, maybe mm. might be. It feels like it wants to resolve, and then you'll play the resolution. It'll be a natural resolution. These kinds of resolutions you hear, they are rich in the church harmonies, and we sing them. They're part of our hymnals, you know. Mm. And simple progressions in music, or from one chord to the next, have these expectations. And certain resolutions are more powerful than others. A dominant resolving to a tonic is really a movement from a from a point of tension to resolution, and so we understand those and we begin to reconcile them as children to understand. Okay, that we have an expectation there. Okay, I yeah. see what you mean. And I was just going to say, sorry, to interrupt you, Andrew, but I remember someone once telling me that when you are at church and singing hymns and things, when you sing Amen, that goes from a um, Four to one, yeah. Yes. So yes. now if you were to just sing the R part yes. and leave it there. And you'd be left up in mid Then everyone would want to hear the, the men part, right? Yes. They'd want to hear the resolution. They'd probably be singing it on the way out of the church. <laughs> yes, they yes. wouldn't be happy left with that on its own, yeah. yeah, because there's an expectation. So if you if you add complexity to that, then you'll then there are multiple stages of, of different kinds of expectations that you probably aren't, aren't able to give a name to but would feel in music, and that mm -hmm. gives it the music its sensibility, and that's why some people love jazz music, because it's complex, but inside that jazz music that they listen to, they they hear the nuances of the music. So, so I always say to my students, you know, sometimes you should take criticism from somebody who knows nothing about the music, because it's often a, a better informed criticism. Oh, because that's very interesting. They'll only know what it should sound like from what yeah. they listen to. They won't know the techniques they don't have of the why, yes. but they just know it's not right. They'll just say it didn't sound like what I thought jazz music was supposed to sound yeah. like. But it's the same with classical, Andrew. Exactly. All those symphonies and sonatas and concertos that take you through minor keys and the famous Beethoven 5 ending in a 
festival of C major yes, yes. after all the C minor going on. Yeah. So, and constant, as you say, constant, you wanting it to resolve. And in the process, the composer's taking along with it. Yes. With him, isn't he? And yes, and you can twist expectations. Yes. You can change, <laughs> you know, you can have deceptive resolutions yes, yes. that carry you to another point. So if you play that game, music's actually quite mathematical. And if you if you have certain movements, you can find yourself in different axes. You can end up with different sort of uh, formulated uh, harmonic axes, which resolve themselves, and they just keep playing over and over again. Like a simple one would be the cycle of fifths or cycle of fourths. So oh, if yes, you go yes, from yes. one chord to the next to the next to the next, it'll just keep wanting to expect to resolve to the next one through the mm. cycle until you're back at one. But even that itself is going to ask for the next for one. The next so one. so yeah. you lose sight <laughs> of where one is. Yes. And so yeah, so a lot of my compositions are sort of based on on these cyclical expectations, but but quite tricky ones, you know. And so etude to maestro, maestro is exactly that. There's a point at time where, you, where you've got to end the tune, but it could carry on forever. And it's mm -hmm. quite meditative, yeah. And we did, while that music was playing just now, I did mention the Tristan chord, which is a famous classical chord, isn't it? Or yes. a famous musical chord. Yes. Much written about it, much analyzed. Yes. Which never resolves until yeah. the end of the opera five yeah. hours later. And yeah. the whole opera is one of yearning and expectation and longing. Yeah, so you can use that. You know, you can use harmony to, to, to pull the, the listener in mm. and carry them and play with them so that they, they don't get resolution <laughs> until the very end. Yeah. I remember someone once saying that musicians, composers are almost masochists because they can tease you yes and play with your emotions yeah, yeah which is part of music really isn't it yeah but just to make your life simple there are only two chords oh here we go in in, in music actually major and minor no not even that there's just two there's two fundamental groupings of notes which together if you change the root notes or change the the perspective from which you view them will cater for every single chord in music I so it's <laughs> <laughs> so it's not more. that's it's not it's not actually that difficult. Well, a minor six and a major six voicing, that that'll take out the uh, these are resolution chords, not like the diminished seventh is not a it's a unstable chord. But mm. a, but a minor six voicing or a major six voicing will cater for all the voicings in in jazz harmony, which is basically everything. If you just change the the root note, you'll get every single voicing out. So if you can master the movements of these voicings in context of the of the the music then you will be able to you know basically describe everything that you need to out of these two what a pity we don't have a little keyboard in here yeah <laughs> would be nice wouldn't it for you to just demonstrate some of these things yeah and because a lot of the and because these chords sound the same mm -hmm. it's just the context that will change the way that they're viewed what comes next and what comes before so i can often play with the ears of my my students by playing a resolution over and over again that sounds sensible to them and then say, oh, are you happy with that? And then they say they're happy with that. And then I'll change the resolution. They'll say they're not happy with that. It now sounds foreign. And I'll say, but the original, the one that I'm playing now is actually the correct resolution for that chord. Mm. But they've got so used to hearing it, mm. doing something else, the yeah. function of it, that they're not used to its original sound yeah. because it's all about context. Yeah. It's a fascinating subject, music, mm. isn't it? As mm. you said, it's mathematical, and yet we love it. Mm. Music can move you, anger you, exhilarate you, yeah. all these things. But we're going to have another track of your album now, Land of the Quiet. This is also from Silhouette, your yes. new solo album. Yes. Tell me a little bit about it. It's a, an intriguing title, Land of the Quiet. Well, I consider myself to be a quiet person, you know, so um, I guess somebody who 
I'm, I'm the kind of person that tends to run to the toilet in the break and hide there, you know, because <laughs> I don't want to talk to That's anyone. quite an admission. It, it's quite sort of, you know, introspective. Yeah. So I have to force myself to get out there and engage and talk, but it's quite... Uh, so you're a loner. Yeah, it's quite stressful for me to do that, although mm-hmm. I can do it. You know, I, I tend to want to just keep to myself. So I guess, yeah. But uh, so Land of the Quiet, and there was a book actually written about called Quiet, which is all about those those kind of characters. Okay. You know, so I just wrote this tune, which is quite an expressive. It's also quite cyclical in terms of the harmonic content. It, it works through a sort of a 24-bar uh, uh, cycle. So, And in that, I have the ability to express all the kind of elements of, of um, sadness and, and uh, you know, I guess all the dynamics with it that one has in one's life, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's quite expressed in the rendering of that. Okay, yeah. I'm quite intrigued now. Yeah. Let's listen to Land of the Quiet.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Music